Dawn Penn, welcome to Tell a Friend. Thank you for having me. First of all, uh, let's talk about what's been going on in the news, the Black Lives Matter movement. What has been your reaction to the ongoing Black Lives Matter protests? It is devastating and it's really disturbing, to say the least, to know that things can escalate from one simple thing to such a big thing. And, you know, I just hope that they calm down soon. And you lived through the racially turbulent times of the 70s and 80s. What can you say about the comparison between the experience you had back in the 70s to the experience that people are facing today? Well, um, it would appear that people weren't speaking out for things that were not in the proper place or, you know, things that were suitable to them. They would just abide by what they were told or something, but now people are fighting back for their rights kind of thing, it would appear. And did you have any experience of the racism when you were coming up in the music industry? Racism? Not really, you know. It was just, um, it was a, it's a male-dominated arena, so um, the men would get more money than the ladies if you want to draw a card on something. And, or first choice for sure, something like that. But unless you had somebody who was in the business or a manager or something that you were a friend that were your friend or something, you know, then you get a breakthrough. But you also got a breakthrough if they liked what you were doing at the time. But I never suffered any difficulty in that arena anyway. Okay, let me rewind back to your early life. Could you talk to me about your early childhood and what growing up was like for Dawn Penn? I was living a privileged life. We had a help in the house. We never used to really do anything more than get ourselves ready to go to school and be back or music be ready. And uh, she was a nice lady from Monique and we grew up with her as second mom or stepmom as some people would say. Um, my mom was a nurse at the hospital so um, she worked during the daytime or if she did night shift we'd go and meet her and my dad used to guide in the boats when they come into the harbor because he worked with the United Fruit Company, a company based out of Jamaica. And he was missing for about three days and then when the ship left, he would come back to, come back home. He played music. So that's where the music came from in the house. My mom was like the audience. She would either tell us what to wear or what song we were singing, if it sounded good or whatever, and things like that. And what kind of music were you listening to in, in your house? Who were you listening to? Tchaikovsky and Chopin and Mozart and Mendelssohn and these things because they had to do exams, piano exams, for when the examiner come from England from the Royal School of Music to test us to play the music that we would have been studying for examinations and doing um, theory of music, rudiments of music and things like that. And also the violin. I play the violin. I have a violin in my house as we speak. And myself and my two sisters had their own violins, and a gentleman used to come and teach us on the weekends in the house. So your parents were very supportive of your musical ambitions? Yeah, but it wasn't a job like that. I was really wanting to do medicine, but I didn't like to see blood. My mom worked at a hospital, so we knew about medical stuff. 
naturally and my mom is a maroon as well extract so we used to be dealing in bush medicine we didn't deal in really going to the doctor like that but um i did secretarial studies i did accounting i wanted to be a doctor as i said and a profession like that not music per se because we figured that you'd be only seeing classical music, Sonata in G by Mozart or something like that, just to draw a card of a name or some song. But um, I was also in the choir for the young people and much rounded in a lot of things. So I never did think I would be engaging into music per se until a long many years after. I found out, I was working at Virgin Megastore and I found out I could make money in playing music than um, working in someone's office, for example. So talk to me about how you got involved in the music industry and what were, what were the first steps you took? As I said, I didn't really, was he really into doing the music thing. I used to follow my friends, go to Studio One, I used to go to Duke Reed, I used to go to Dynamic Sound, some of the studios in Jamaica. I used to be at several record shops and things like that, meet up with my friends and so. But um, one particular day, I went by Studio One on a Sunday to do an audition and I sang my signature song. And he said, oh, you have a jazzy voice. You need to come back the following day to record the song. So um, I went back and I met people that I used to follow up their band a lot. Um, everywhere they play, I used to basically like to be there or something. And it made life a little easier working out the song in the studio with Jackie Mitchell. And he said, um, play the full notes of the chord and you'll make the sound fat. I remember him telling me that straight. And that's how we did it. So you talk about your iconic song. No, no, no. You don't love me and I know now. How did the idea for that iconic song come about? Well, it was just about falling in love and getting your heart broken. The regular thing people happen to people when they're very in teenage years. And today, like uh, I just mentioned, your song is still played. I know that whenever I go to any clubs or pubs or even restaurants, I still hear that song being played. And I wonder, what is your reaction when you hear your music still playing today and it's still being relevant? <laughs> Sometimes I pretend I'm not hearing what's going on because people are so excited and I do not let them know it's me. So, um... I am really chuffed and I think I'm more blessed than anything else to be in movies and advertisements and things like that, you know, and yeah, the song has hit spots. So, well, people have issues in the family home with siblings, with husband and wife, friends, um, you know, you go somewhere and people don't like you for one reason or another, or you have friends, you think they're your friend, but they're really against you, but you wouldn't really know kind of thing. So um, it's one of those ones. And when you hear other artists sampling your songs, are you 
Are you happy with that? Or what, what's your reaction to hearing other people use your music? Well, I'm just taking a lead on how they do it, how different from what I'm doing they're doing, and listen carefully to how they um, deliver the track and things like that. Now, when we look at another iconic song uh, by another famous Jamaican sister Nancy um, with Bam Bam, there was some issue with her not getting paid for her music, despite it being used internationally. And I ask you, have you had similar problems or have you had a fair deal in getting royalties for your music? Well, I like to think positive about things. Um, I think it's you get what you negotiate. They always use those phrases to me. If a woman going into the industry to do a job like music that you can earn a lot of money for an hour, half an hour, whatever. Um, if you don't strike the right note with the promoter or whoever you're working with, you could be jibbed. So usually some people get a manager, but the manager always um, is the person that have the full control of whatever you would be doing at the time and figure the price out with the people and so forth. But um, after think positive, sometimes you don't get the true picture of what's happening behind the scenes as a woman, as a female. No, I'm making any sense. Yeah, I, I completely understand. And I wanted to ask you, uh, clearly there was uh, sexism, as you mentioned, within the industry. But do you think the music industry has improved in that respect? Or do you think it's still a, still a man's world? It's always a man's world, but if there's a woman who can sing or people like her or do a lot of promotion and spend a lot of money to get her off the ground and airplay, I think airplay, PR and marketing is the key. But everybody is doing that on their own now and a lot of people have joined the industry since that time. And I see people trying to recruit their little kids to do it. Um... It sort of gives the family a lift in public awareness. But at the same time, you know, sometimes you have to ask, would this person be a better songwriter? Would this person be a better music? Would be a musician if they did that better or whatever? But I think you still have to find your niche that you're supposed to be involved in, actually. But we came here to praise the most high, really. So I don't think we're far away. And how so doing. And having experienced the music industry, is this an industry that you would want your children or your nieces and nephews to go into? Do you think it's a good environment to be in? It's a good environment if you can write lyrics or write poems or something. What I do, I write words and then I... Once upon a time, I used to write the words and then go on the piano and try to put the words to some kind of melody and music. But um, what I do now, I would write the words. If I'm going to collaborate with someone, I would listen to music that they have and just fit my lyrics on their music. So I have a song in about half an hour, 45 minutes, so to speak, the grown thing. And then, you know, and usually when you see it the first time, sometimes, a lot of the times, you don't get it back the same way you did that song in the first take. And do you think... Oh, th- I'm answering your question. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, you you certainly are. And do you think that the music industry today is as diverse as it could be, or do you think it still has way to go? Um, as with everything else, there's always a trial and an error situation. So, um, if you really plot it, it's a business. It's not a game. It's not. We used to just like to hear names on the radio. And I always had a job, a day job. So I work during the week. And on the weekend, I go and go to different places and hang out and, you know, listen and enjoy music till I start creating music, till music started to come into my head. And I did music as a, not as a livelihood or anything. I just studied music. There's a piano in the house. There's an organ in the house. My dad played the guitar. He played the accordion. And we studied the violin. So... It's just that all of us never played together as a group. <laughs> but um, in trying to answer your question, it has changed to something else in a different area because if you're going to put out a track, you usually would either put that song as a single. It wouldn't be something like doing a mini LP or something, what you call it, um, an EP. You know, like you put four or five songs together and then you put it out there and see which one of them take off to the to the audience mm-hmm. or to the public. You just will put in one song as a pre-release and then it's going to be out. So they have doubled up on how they approach putting out a track. And I see some people putting out a song I hear very often, at least once a month or two every month. So I say, let me follow up the challenge. I'm going to do something crazy, but I won't say what it is. <laughs> Now, after You Don't Love Me came out, and obviously it was a massive success, how did you deal with this newfound fame that you were having to experience? You mean with the internet and all these things? Yes, and just, um, I'm guessing that your your life must have changed, and uh, people were recognising you, your music was being played everywhere. Do you think that that fame changed you in any way? Not really, <laughs> You don't want to know. Sometimes I just listen to it, but I don't make any big fluster about it like that. When I hear that this person doing it or that person doing it, sometimes I say, what is it, that song that they like so much? And things like that. But um, I don't know if I'm answering your question correctly, but what I like about it, you can record a song tonight and you can, if you really get to do a rough mix, you can put it out tomorrow kind of thing on the net mm-hmm. if you set it up right and um, it, there's more accessibility in getting your music out there other than having to wait if you're not the person to wait or want to wait mm-hmm. you know and promotion although most of the people promoting things now need money so I guess until you get a budget you can put it out Exactly right now, but I still feel that um, the idea of where you can do a song, it was a bit difficult to say mix it. Mix it is fine, but to master it all in one go is a lot of work. So um, a rough mix, depending on what type of song it is, is very easy to do mm-hmm. with the, um, the, the timeline and the, what do you call it, the vehicle that we have in this time called the internet and the the platforms as well. Yeah. 
And one of the pressing um, debates nowadays is whether musicians should engage in politics, whether they should use their songs and their lyrics to convey a political message. Do you believe that it is a responsibility of a musician to talk about society and politics? Well, I'm not a politician, really and truly, but um, you have the aspect where since we are general people who vote for people, I have... I found out I've had songs that would be coming over this situation that we're having right now. I have a song right now on Trojan. Well, the album is called Come Again. I co-produced it as well. And um, the track is called If Only God Will Help Us Now. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Then I have another one from Never Hustle the Music called Mercy For We. I also... You probably don't know, but I have seven albums and I have two unreleased albums. I know that's not much, but that's what I have on the plate. And they are very diverse. One called Bobby Run and some others that come to mind. There's one um, I was, I featured it about two days ago called um, Betterment Blues, which is done since 2015. Mm-hmm about something relating to this, reading the news and hearing what's happening and all the confusion and all these things and we need a better world and we need betterment in our society. Having been someone who has had lived through the 70s, 80s and uh, those turbulent times, when the Windrush scandal happened in the UK, what was your reaction to that? And do you believe that Britain has let down Jamaicans who came over from that generation? Well, um, my story is a bit different. I didn't come to the UK until about, what I was now, somewhere around 2003. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about the Windrush thing. I did a show about two, a year ago, down at the, li- the Houston Library. Yeah, the mm-hmm. British Library, the mm-hmm. British Library in Houston. And it was all about this Windrush thing. It's the first time I'm hearing about it. But I did West Indian history. I did English history too. But I didn't know of the lifestyles or things people had to go through when they came here, if you understand my drift. Mm-hmm. So, um, as I said, I was not knowledgeable about these things until I did the, um, the British Library scenario and things like that. We did a show down there to celebrate the people who came early and how they worked very hard to make things, you know, for a better change for themselves and for their environment. And having lived in the UK for quite some years now, do you think that the UK has become more or less welcoming in that time? Well, I think they should be more welcoming, but you cannot come into people's country and tell them what to do, especially somewhere like England or even not even the States. And I mean, I think I've been to a lot of countries around the world and the only place I've been to is Africa, but I've been to a lot of countries around the world and wherever you go, once you're not born there and you're domiciled there, you still have to follow the guidelines and the rules. That's how things, everything's run with some order. So, you know, normally you have to think. And I like order still. When I say order, I mean you must have some 
means of doing things. You know, you don't do things ad hoc. You plan what you're doing and things like that. So um, that's where I'm at. And I, finally, I wanted to conclude with a quick fire round. So my first question is, what is the biggest misconception about you? Well, I'm me all the time. I don't have any put-ons or any, you know, whatever you call that word, to try to be different. And most times, it's a joke. I it's a joke. I'll come to the, I'll be passing through an airport and people at the airport waiting on me and I pass them and I don't know. So when I reach out, they say, oh, when did you pass? <laughs> I, I like to be a kind of quiet person. And what is your proudest achievement? Well, one of them was um, the the Martin Luther King Award for music, the Buzzdale um, Award last year for being the best reggae artist, Grammy nomination, the song in After the Sunset with Pierce Brosnan and Don Cheadle and um, different movies and so forth. And that a lot of people have been singing my song, although it's on the market for a long time. It was out there before it was on the market. <laughs> it's on the market, so that's what time it is. And finally, what is your advice to the artists starting in the music industry today? You mean the artists who want to do music? Yeah. You... Yeah, it's something you have to strategize. I mean, some people play it by ear, like go to the studio and record some something, but it's a business and you have to have it well organized in terms of getting a manager, getting your promotion together. You don't have to follow the guideline and the rule of how they do it, but you have to lay um, strong a strong foundation because it's a business and it's a business you can soar today and you also have to be able to stay up in that height and follow up the thing with the promotion and the marketing and the video and publishing and all these different things, the clothes you're going to wear, your video and all these things have to be in place or if not in place at some point they have to be there. Strategies is one of the good things that you use as well. How are you going to strategize doing the thing? Dawn Penn, thank you very much for joining me on Telefriend. <laughs> <laughs>